0: This, 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 this is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Working with the Jakes tonight. Jacob Perry, Jake Montgomery. We're hanging out with you until 10 o'clock. Then we'll turn things over to our good pals, Gordon Damer, Larry Hardesty. They'll take you the rest of the night here on 98.7 ESPN. As always, you can hit me up on Twitter at Dan Grossa G-R-A-C-A. Was out at Florham Park today for day one of Jets minicamp. So we'll have some thoughts on that a little bit later on in the program. We'll sprinkle in a lot of football. And Giants are already into their so-called summer vacation. They had the mini camp last week, and the Jets are gonna have one more day tomorrow, and then they are going to hightail it out of town and for reconvening for training camp in July. Yes, Makai Becton was there. I tweeted out a picture um this morning while I was there of Makie Becton, way out in the distance. See what the teams like to do is just because they want to keep things as hush-hush as possible. All of the injured players, the ones that aren't participating in any on-field activities and that sort of thing, they have them working on the – you could call it the side fields. There's like four fields that they have all alongside each other, but they put the injured players on the one furthest away, furthest from where the media is stationed, so you can't really get a nice old close-up look, but – I mean, Becton, considering, you know, the fact that he's a massive individual, you can't miss him, especially with that 77 jersey on. So he was out there doing his thing alongside the likes of Carl Lawson and George Fant, who were nicked up a little bit too and still not ready to take the field. But, yeah, he looked, you know, he came a little bit closer than later on in the practice when the O-linemen were gathering together for drills, and he looks, you know, okay. Uh, I mean, look, he's always going to be a big guy. He's not somebody you're ever going to consider to be slim. Question is... You know, is he going to be able to make it through a long season? Is he going to be able to play 17 games? You know, is this going to be a recurring thing with him? But we're not going to get our answers until the fall gets here and we get rocking and rolling here for this football season. So we'll do the um – um. Some football with the Jets in the mini camp a little bit later on. We'll also do a look back on the Rangers. You know, I know that it's been a couple of days now since the season ended, but uh, they had baggy day yesterday up there in Westchester and, you know, saying their goodbyes for the summer, looking back on what went wrong and how close they came. And, you know, maybe put a little bit of a bow on it from our perspective as to what this team accomplished and maybe what the summer looks ahead like for this hockey team and how you try to go about closing the gap. Right between the Rangers and the team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, right. The whole league is chasing the Tampa Bay Lightning, and only one more team has an opportunity to slay them, and that would be the Colorado Avalanche with the final starting tomorrow. But think about it. I mean, last the previous two years, right? It was Tampa Bay taking out the Islanders in the final four, and then the Islanders were left asking themselves that question: Okay, how do we close the gap, and how do we try to be better or supersede? What the Tampa Bay Lightning did—they weren't able to do that—and then it fell onto the Rangers, and now they're going to be asking themselves that same question as well as every other team in the Eastern Conference. That is the team to beat. That is the standard. That is what you hope to be like. So, a lot of questions, of course, when you talk about all of those things. We'll also get into some NBA final stuff as well. With now the Warriors one win away from another trophy, from another championship, from getting back out on top of that NBA throne. Beat the Celtics last night out in the Bay Area. Now the scene shifts back to Boston for game number six coming up on Thursday night. We were talking about it before the show, me and the uh, two Jakes. And Jacob won, Jacob Two, And we were saying how, like, you know, th- the product on the court this year in the playoffs has been spotty, to say the least. Like, it really has. I mean, you've had some good, but a lot of bad, too. It really has not been great basketball. You know, the conference finals left so much to be desired, especially in the Western Conference. But a lot of these games all blowouts and one-sided. And I don't even really think that the finals have been all that great, to be honest. I don't think it's like a, you know, a a classic or an epic shaping up in any way, shape, or form like that. So, like, we were asking ourselves, like, you know, don't – in a way you could almost make the argument that you want – the Warriors to win on Thursday just to end the season like so we don't have to prolong this another few days and wait for that game seven on Sunday because look I know game seven there's drama there's appeal but it doesn't mean that game seven is going to be a good game seven right you could have game sevens that stink and they're blowouts and they're one-sided I mean we've already seen some of these in the NBA this year think about Dallas Phoenix right like that was that was a a blowout so it doesn't mean it's going to be good and if, by and large, it has not been a great postseason, you almost want to just, like, cut your losses and be like, all right, let's have the Warriors win it on Thursday, end this thing, and then we'll look forward to the draft, free agency, and whatever's going to happen here in the summer. So a lot of things to get to on this Tuesday evening. And, again, a lot of your phone calls at eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. But let's get the baseball out of the way real quick because both of the locals are going to be getting underway here in just a couple of minutes, both of them at home, So I'm sure that's going to be a traffic nightmare, was a traffic nightmare if you were trying to get anywhere between the Bronx and Queens. I mean, that's a nightmare any given day of the week, but especially on nights like this when the teams are home, the teams are playing good baseball. Yankees are taking on Tampa Bay in the Bronx. It's Cole and Kluber former Yankee teammates of course from a year ago first of three these teams are going to be seeing each other a lot in the next week because the Yankees next Monday are going to go back down to Tampa and play them for three games down there and I mean what's to really say about the Yankees there really isn't a heck of a lot you know controversial negative whatever you want to say I mean you would love to be able to sit here and poke holes into it just for the sake of genuine, you know generating a discussion of some sort here but they're a machine right they're a beast you know, what is this team's weakness? Like, what are their flaws? I mean, we're going to sit here and really complain about the nine spot in the batting order. Like, if that if that is your chief complaint about the New York Yankees, which by and large it has been, you're living a charm life, right? Things are pretty good in Yankee land right now. I mean, when you're 44 up and 16 down, there's really not a hell of a lot that you say, oh, I wish this was different. Now, I'll, I'll add, though, that The starting pitching has been an unbelievable strength for this team this year. Unbelievable. It's been as good as any rotation, one through five, in all of Major League Baseball. But did I think that was going to happen before the season started? No. Did I think that we would be sitting here talking about a Yankee rotation as what would be the bright spot for him? The answer is no. So, of course, I'm curious to see, is this something that's going to be sustainable throughout an entire 162-game season? I know that we're still a little, you know, about a month and a half away from the trading deadline. Do I think that it would behoove a Brian Cashman to go out there and secure some more starting pitching help? You're darn right, yeah. Because I do think there's going to come a point where somebody's going to go down, somebody's going to be ineffective, and then we're going to be asking those questions like, oh, do the Yankees have to add somebody? Do they have to bring somebody in? So, yeah, I still think that you can never have enough starting pitching. But 44-16, and I, I mean, you know, What's not to like about this? They're only two games behind the pace of the 98 Yankees. They won 114 games. So it is incredible what this team has done. And, you know, when you have the likes of somebody like a Matt Carpenter, do what he's done. Now, look, I don't think Matt Carpenter is going to keep up this, you know, Ruthian pace until October. I mean, if he does, it would be incredible. But I don't think it's going to happen. But what he's been able to give you for the last, what, two, three weeks he's been a Yankee, I mean, that's probably more than anybody even bargained for. I mean, there was a better than good chance that Matt Carpenter wasn't even going to be on this team by this point, that he'd already be gone. But the guy just keeps raking. The guy keeps hitting the ball out of the ballpark. This guy's got six home runs already. He only had three all of last year with the St. Louis Cardinals when basically everybody in America and the Cardinals sent him packing, wrote him off, said he was done, he was finished. Guy was in AAA for the Texas Rangers, just rotting down there, hitting the ball pretty well, but nobody was seriously looking at him as a threat to say, oh, yeah, we got to get that guy on our club. No, of course not. Why? Because he's Matt Carpenter. Best days are behind him. So this is the epitome of catching lightning in a bottle and what we've seen here with the stash. And this is an intriguing game tonight, though, for Cole, in all seriousness, because the last time he went out there in Minnesota last week, he got lit up like a Christmas tree. You know, giving up the home runs left and right, didn't even make it out of the third inning. This is a big start for Cole tonight, I'll be honest with you. And if you look at this Yankees' schedule for the next couple of weeks, Tampa, then they go to Toronto for three, then back down to Tampa for three, then the Astros come in with the garbage cans and everything for four Oakland comes in for three, then back down to Houston for one game. Remember, this is ma- that's a make up for that first series of the season that got wiped away because of the lockout. And then at Cleveland for three, who are playing some good baseball. Cleveland's a young, plucky team. You know, they got some hitters in that lineup that, you know, don't know any better, and they're just going out there and playing baseball, and, you know, they've kept their head above water. So they've done a nice job with the, uh, the Guardians this year. But that's, let's see, 3-6-9, 13-16, 20 games. That schedule, I mean, you have some tough games in there. Like I said, you got a few trips against your own division, which you want to take care of. The Astros, who, for my money, I still think the Yankees and the Astros are the two best teams in the American League. And they're probably on a collision course for the pennant once October gets here. But, you know, go 12-8 and 8 in those 20 games. Continue playing outstanding baseball. I don't think that's all that real un- unrealistic. So we'll keep you up to date as to what's going on in the Bronx tonight here with the Yanks and... The Tampa Bay Rays. As far as the Mets are concerned, you know, things may be a little bit more tricky for them. They just finished that West Coast swing. I mean, two West Coast swings, really, right? In the span of a couple of weeks. feels like the Mets have been out on the West Coast for an entire month. But they go 5-5 five and five against some pretty good competition. Certainly the Dodgers, the Padres. I know the Angels have been scuffling. But, you know, I thought that win on Sunday was big after getting shellacked the night before. But the reality of the situation is, is that, you know, even though the Mets haven't been a disaster... You know, they've leveled off a little bit. They ran into a rough patch of their schedule. And in the meantime, the Atlanta Braves have gotten stinky hot. Braves had themselves a team meeting back on June the 1st while they were out in Arizona. And remember, the Braves were playing sub-500 baseball. Maybe getting a little fat still over winning that World Series last year, the World Series hangover. The teams always talk about dreading and wanting to avoid. Well, they had a team meeting that day, and they haven't lost a game since. Winners of 12 in a row, seeing if they could keep it going again tonight. And then Philadelphia, who fired Joe Girardi, and under Rob Thompson, they've managed to go out there and play tremendous baseball. What? They've won like nine out of ten. Although the difference with Philadelphia is, is that I don't think that it's sustainable because I still think Philadelphia is a very, very flawed team. They can't catch the ball, which is going to come back to bite you more often than not. Defensively, they're horrific. And their bullpen is a disaster. So I still take Philadelphia as, okay, they're in the division, they're playing well, but I don't think it's sustainable. The Braves are the team you have to worry about. And I know it wasn't even that long ago that we were talking about the Mets and having a conversation about the National League East and basically saying, well, is it over when the Mets had built up that 10-game lead in the division, which is now down to five? Is it over? Is it over? Is it over? Well... Even though things were looking pretty good, you can't sit there and immediately just give them a division because you had the defending champs sitting there knowing that they were eventually going to start to play good baseball. And the Mets get a Brewers team coming in here who are scuffling right now. They've lost eight out of their last nine. They're down a couple of pitchers, a couple of all-star pitchers. But I don't think you could take that team lightly by any stretch. You You know that Milwaukee's going to turn it around at some point. You just hope it doesn't happen over the next few days at Citi Field. You know, keep them reeling. That's what you have to do if you're the New York Mets here. And Bassett on the mound tonight, big start for him. You know, last week when I did my, uh, an appearance on SNY on the baseball show, Bassett was a topic because that was on the heels of him having that rough start in San Diego. And it's like, well, you know, do you push the panic button all of a sudden over Chris Bassett? Like, why is he ineffective all of a sudden? First seven starts of the season, he was pitching to a 2-3 ERA. Last five games, it's 7.6. All right, obviously that's a difference. And we know that he's been hit hard. And that Padre one was as bad as it gets. I mean, that, that, to me, that's a one-off. But the few games that he's pitched this year where he wasn't even that effective, you know, the two games against San Francisco and then the Padre game. It's are good teams. You know, it's not like Bassett was going out there against Cincinnati or Kansas City and getting lit up. I mean, it happens. It happens. And I think that, you know, with the DeGrom not being there, with Scherzer not being there, I think people maybe expected Bassett to just automatically, like, elevate himself to be, like, that number one guy and to pitch like the de facto ace because your true aces are no longer a part of the team or are not part of the team as of now. And I don't think that's fair for Bassett. You know, remember, he's in a new league. He's trying to figure some things out. Maybe some of these clubs who are now getting a better look at him in the National League, maybe they've made the adjustments as all good teams are supposed to do and as all good hitters do. Remember, all these teams are looking at video and, you know, watching tape and trying to pick up tendencies and that sort of thing. So, you know, things were coming easy for him the first handful of times out on the mound, but then all of a sudden you run into a few bumps because I think other teams are doing their homework on you. Now the question is what type of adjustments does he make the rest of the season? I like Bassett. I think he's a gamer. I think that's a guy you want on your team. I think he fits perfectly on this club settling into the middle of that rotation. He's not an ace. He's not a one. He's not a two. He's a middle-of-the-rotation type of guy. I think the Mets are lucky to have him, and you know what? Pretty soon, hopefully he gets Scherzer back. Hopefully he get DeGrom back, and things are all good all over again. Jets had minicamp today out at Florham Park. Beautiful day for football. It's still, you know, I got to be honest with you. I mean, it's minicamp. It's mandatory, so everybody's expected to be there, and everybody was there. Not everybody was participating, like I told you. Some of the injured guys, they go easy on, you know, like the you know Becktons and Fans, and Carl Lawson was working off to the side. Um, C.J. Uzama, same thing. So, but they're not wearing any pads, so it's really hard to get a true gauge as to okay what's happening. I mean, to be honest with you, the only difference between, and I've you know been to them all. The only difference between the OTAs and the minicamp is that one is mandatory and the OTAs aren't. That's the only difference because nobody's wearing pads. Nobody's really doing anything in terms of contact and things like that. It's, you know, you're in shorts and, you know, the practice jersey and wearing a helmet. That's that's all you're doing, you know, some seven-on-seven stuff. But I will say this, having watched the entire offseason and getting to this point, Zach Wilson probably had his best day today. For what it's worth, you know, for the shorts and T-shirt portion of practice, he had his best day. He was decisive. You know, he was locked in more on his receivers. His reads were good. He wasn't afraid to even check it down instead of holding on to the football too long, which clearly was a problem for him last year. Held on the ball way too long at times. But that comes with inexperience. And you hope that some of those things are subsided in year number two. Because, you know, you could be as excited as anybody if you're a Jet fan about the additions this team made. And look, on paper, they're a better team, right? We've talked about this a lot, you and I. They're a better team. And I'm optimistic that once August gets here and, you know, the season begins with the preseason games and whatnot, that when Greg Buttle and I, you know, pop on the microphone to do our pregame shows and our postgame shows right here on 98.7 for every game, we, we expect to be talking about a better product this year because it's going to be hard to be worse than this team was last season. And just by the personnel alone, if they stay somewhat reasonably healthy... They're going to win some games. I think, what's the over-under at last look for the Jets? Like five and a half? I mean, that is very, very low, right? Five and a half, that's low. You know, this team, if if, if they can stay healthy, I mean, they can easily be in the neighborhood of seven wins. I know that's not going to get you where you want to be, and, you know, nobody's throwing a parade for a 7-10 and football team, but where this team was and where they've been, it's not the worst thing in the world. I've been saying it all along. You want progress. You want signs of hope. And I think for the Jets, whatever your Thanksgiving I've said this, whatever your Thanksgiving traditions are, whether you stay home, whether you go out to eat, whether you go to a friend's house, whether you go to a family member's house, whatever you do, or whether you just don't acknowledge Thanksgiving at all, whatever. But if you do sit down to carve the turkey or slice some turkey on Thanksgiving Day, the Jets should still have a pulse. And for the last, I don't know how many years, they haven't. You know, sitting there on Thanksgiving and already talking about a team that's playing out the string and playing meaningless games the rest of the year, that trend needs to stop. So this year, if you want to engage in some Jet conversation at the Thanksgiving table, it should be about, hey, Jets are playing the Bears this weekend. This is a big game because they're still in it. And I don't think it's all that unrealistic to be quite honest with you. I really and truly don't. But the key is going to be the quarterback. Not to say he's got to go out there and be Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen or whatever you know, elite quarterback, Tom Brady, that you want to say here in year number two, but he's got to be better. Because every move this team made, every improvement they may have made on paper and with the depth chart, none of it will matter if the quarterback is still stuck in neutral from what we saw in his rookie season. Michael LaFleur, who's the offensive coordinator and really the guy who is standing guard watching over the development of one Zach Wilson, he talked about the quarterback's progress going into year number two.
1: Year one for an offense, year one for a staff, year one for a rookie quarterback. There's not only did he have to learn our terminology and our system, he had to learn just the difference between the college game and the NFL game, and be trying to simulate that in May and June. Which you know the speed is one thing, but then you come back in August, now the speed ramps up even a little bit more. And then so just the fact that he knows what to expect come August, come September, you don't have to talk about that as much. You just try to dial in on what matters right now, and that's you know making sure we are. Mastering our, our, our offense and our job as a quarterback, you know, and uh, and that's where I say his mindset and his focus has been um, it's been really cool to watch. Very, very different than last year in terms of <laughs> what, what I just talked about.
0: You know, roughly this time a year ago, when the Jets parted ways for the summer, right after mini camp was over during that month apart, that was when we had the tragedy involving Greg Knapp who was the quarterback coach and really who was the guy who stood over Zach Wilson pretty much from the minute he walked into the building after they drafted him, all through the offseason, OTAs and minicamp, and then he was involved in that horrible tragedy and, and, and passed away. And I think that, you know, Zach felt that absence last year because then you come back for training camp and the start of the season and that voice that's been in your head for all those weeks and all those months since you first got here is now gone. And you still haven't gone out there and played a real game. So, I mean, that was a huge, huge loss. Not to say that the Jets would have been in the Super Bowl last year, but that set back his development. Then they brought in John Beck, his own personal quarterback coach, and had him there. And then you had like 17 people in that room and 17 different voices all inside of Zach's head, and that probably was a lot for him to take in. Now it's just two guys. It's Mike LaFleur and Rob Calabrese, who's the quarterback coach. That's it. That's all Zach Wilson has to report to, and hopefully things will be a little bit smoother for him. Weapons are better. Offensive line is improved. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you should feel good about the tackle situation right now because I think that there's a lot of question marks. If healthy, you go to war with Beckton and George Fant, you take that because I think those guys can play at a high level, but we don't know if they're going to be healthy, right? And then who's playing left tackle? Who's playing right tackle? And when you look at the depth right now at the tackle position for them, like if one of these two guys goes down, who are you putting in there? Right? A lot of unproven players. The Adogas, the McDermott's, guys like that, they, they, they need some help. That's why Riley Reef was in town last week. You know, a guy who was on the Bengals last year, started 12 games for them. He's a veteran. Remember, last year they signed Morgan Moses during the offseason. Because he was still out there. You know, they need to bring in another veteran capable of going out there and starting football games in the event that something happens to Beckton or Fenton. Since Beckton's only played one football game in the last year, I think you have to guard against that. Iron Staten Island, up next, here on 98.7 ESPN. I, how are you?
2: Hey, good. What's happening? Good to hear you talk some jet football. And and you're right. You know these these spring practices and, and they call it mini-camp. It's been dog back, and, and it's just pretty much an extension of OTAs. But you know what? Just hold your breath. Get through tomorrow, and let everybody, God willing, get off the field healthy. And yeah. you know what? It's a success. That's a, that's the way you look at it. But I have to agree with you what you said about the quarterback room. I mean, awful tragedy. You know, with with Nap, but. I, I do think things will be a lot simpler. Things are going to slow down. He's also a year, another year into the NFL. But you mentioned the backup tackle. I think they also got to do something with linebacker because I think if Mosley or Quincy Williams goes down, I think they got problems. But when you said about playing meaningful games, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm going up to Buffalo. What's where, where, that? Second week of December, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they're still in the mix. And you know what? I'm going to dial up the heat a little. I I understand that we spoke about this before. Seven seven to eight wins, I'll be doing headstands if the quarterback plays well. But if if they come home and they have that Thursday night game against Jacksonville and they're still alive for something, could you imagine MetLife Stadium with the Jets still in the mix like the third week of December for a Thursday night home game? I mean, that, that would be a tremendous season for the Jets
0: and that would be the home finale too that year which is kind of odd right it's a thursday night game and then the last two weeks of the season are on the road so that'll be the last home game of the season but you're right i mean you know the holiday week going into to, to christmas that week and I mean, it, it would be it would be like a party scene ira but got a lot of work to do to get to that point my friend you know what i'm saying from your lips no
2: no i get i get it but you know what in a division if you could give me two wins a, a minimum two wins in division there's no reason why that can't happen. Well,
0: let me ask you a me That's a good point you bring up because I was talking about this last week with somebody. And, and for those that, you know, don't know, don't really follow, Jets have not won a game in the division in two years. They've gone 0-6 in the division in each of the last two years, which is, you know, breaking news. You're not going to have a good year if you can't win the games in your division. You think it's possible for this team to go 3-3 and in the division?
2: Uh, who are they going to sweep, Miami or the or? They'd have to sweep the Dolphins because I can't see them sweeping the pats. And I think it's going to be hard to steal a game from the Bills. They'd have to catch them with their guard down. That's the way I look at it. But even if you get to three and three, they get to three and three, they're going to win nine games because there's no reason why this team can't split with the AFC North. All right. You got Seattle on the road with maybe Geno Smith, a quarterback. Okay. I understand Denver and Green Bay, you know, that that's in the loss column most likely. But then besides that, well, you got Jacksonville, um, You, you know, it, it's not that difficult of a schedule. Detroit and Chicago reality. at
0: home late in the year, you know what I mean? So it's, it is it is the key stretch to me, and Ira, thank you for the phone call, my friend. Look forward to seeing you out there at the games, Um, you know, this year. But that middle part of the season, when they play all those divisional games, I think it's like either October into November, somewhere in there. Like that, that's a critical stretch. You got to win your division games. I don't care who you are. I don't care what team you are. You got to beat the teams in your division. And look, I don't know what the formula is, right? But I do think it's possible that they could somehow get three wins in this division and go 3-3. Three and three. If they go 3-3, three and three, hey, possibilities are endless for this football team, really and truly. Lee in Long Island, up next here on 98.7. Lee, what's going on?
1: Jeez, you guys set me up to be the guy throwing cold water on everything. Uh-oh,
0: uh-oh, he's splashing, um, he's I gotta splashing. Tell you,
1: first off, first off, I just think it's it's hilarious how low the bar is set that three years into this rebuild, and we're going, maybe they can win two division games, and that's like, you know, a, a, a silver lining almost. What Ira was saying two, two wins in the division. Um, I actually was more concerned about Becton. You know, the photo—he's he, not really practicing. I know you said that, that he's, he's coming off an injury, so they're taking it easy on him. he's not wearing a knee brace, which is always a good sign. But he did not look like he was had lost a lot of weight. And uh, you know, when you look at the best tackles around the league, all the All-Pro guys—they were all between 310 and 320 pounds. Even George Fant, who played great last year, is about 320-25 mm-hmm. pounds. The, the, the tackles, they're not 360, 70 pounds. And I think, you know, I, I, and I look back at the all-pro tackles for the last couple of years. They're all under 320 pounds. So I don't know if maybe that size and weight is such a good thing and if that's going to translate to longevity and sustained, uh, you know, uh, availability on the field. Um, well, I, I mean, I Lee, that's, that's how it is, used that's to be. reasonable.
0: Remember, like, to your point, you know, back in the day, these left tackles, you know, the Jonathan Ogdens, the Anthony Munozes, guys like that, they were, you know, mm-hmm. Willie Rofe. these guys mm-hmm. were monsters because, you know, a, a, back in the day also those, I, I think, defensive ends and linemen were more like bulk and brawn. Now they're more like longer, leaner, it's more speed and power, you know what I mean, as opposed to just like, you know, bull rushing you over like, you know, the Reggie White used to do and Bruce Smith and guys like that. It's a little bit different. So, yeah, maybe these guys are a little sleeker, to be quite honest with you, but it still doesn't mean that you can't go out there and still be effective. But that's also one of the reasons. Like, remember a couple of years ago when Beckton was drafted in 2020, and he went out there and for the first half of his rookie season was playing great and, you know, was going, had all these viral pancake blocks and, you know, was making the highlight reels each week when they were running behind him, and he's just throwing guys, you know, to the side like they were ragdolls. That's also the reason, though, why he was the third tackle that came off the board that year in the first round. Remember, there was like the four big ones, Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, and, and, and Becton. You know, which one was going to go? And then everybody thought Jets got a steal because he was the third guy that came off the board. Well, the reason he dropped to where he did was because there was that question about his durability as to whether or not he was going to be able to stay healthy. You know, because he was so massive, and would he be able to keep his weight under control playing in the National Football League? And, you know, should he get injured? How would that curtail his rehab and getting back out on the field? And, you know, we saw what happened. Remember, guys, when he had that injury last year in week one in Carolina, they said that was like a six-week injury. or six. If he had surgery, it was like a six- to eight-week injury. And he's still not out there playing with the team, practicing with the team, and we're almost... What, we're three months shy from the one-year anniversary? So we heard from Deshaun Watson today. And for those who don't know, you know, Deshaun Watson has these mounting allegations by uh, different women in and around the country that uh, alleged improper conduct by him when they performed massages on him. You know, the lawsuits... I think now have climbed to like 25 different women somewhere around there. And I think that they said there might be another one or there might be a 26th or something that's going to be filed here pretty soon. But the New York Times reported last week that there are upwards of 66 different women that all have a complaint regarding Deshaun Watson. And yes, no criminal charges have been filed. Understand 100%. However, still to make him a good guy. You know, what he did or allegedly did or, you know may not justify or qualify as a crime in the court's eyes, and that's for them to decide, right? But it's still not reputable behavior, and it's still not behavior for someone that I would want being the face of my football team, and that's the problem the Cleveland Browns have right now. Look, the Browns have taken many missteps over the years. Generally, though, that means on the football field. More so on the football field than off the football field. That's why they've been a laughingstock. And just when it looks like they might be ready to turn the corner again as an organization, they'd go out and do something like this. Like trade for a guy who's been a pariah in the NFL, still has his personal orders that still need to be sorted out. Houston basically just had him off to the side because they didn't want to put him out on the field last year. And not only do they acquire him, they give him the richest contract in the history of the National Football League, $250 million fully guaranteed. And you know that annoyed each and every executive owner of the 31 other teams in the National Football League because now the precedent has been set, right? Now the grounds have been laid for a guy who has record money, guaranteed money, and you can sit here and debate as to whether or not he's even worth it, right? So now every other player that comes along who may not even be the best player in the NFL or one of the top five players in the NFL, per se, they're going to tell their agents to tell the team, hey, you know what? Deshaun Watson got $250 million guaranteed. Why can't I? Like you saw what Aaron Donald just signed for last week with the Rams. Like so much for retirement, right? That was all for money and all for a new contract, and he got it. So congratulations for him. But that wasn't even close to $250 million. And Aaron Donald is the best non-quarterback in the entire National Football League in terms of impacting games, affecting games. But the NFL still has not ruled what they're going to do with this guy. Now, look. They're their own judge and jury and executioner, the NFL. Doesn't matter what the courts decide. Doesn't matter what the criminal justice system decides regarding a player. If they want you off the field, if they think that you are a violation to the per- per- personal conduct policy or whatever they want to justify it as, then they will kick you off the field. Or they'll even give you a soft landing. And that's ultimately what I think is going to happen to the Deshaun- Law. Go on the so-called commissioner's exempt list, which is you're out of sight, out of mind, but you're getting paid. You're drawing a paycheck. But the question is, what's Deshaun Watson's fate? Is it the commissioner's exempt list, or is it just going to be a good old-fashioned suspension where you're out for four games or six games or whatever they decide, and you don't get paid? You're suspended. You miss game checks. But the NFL's got to rule something here, and and let's be quite frank. I think the Cleveland Browns would appreciate that they rule swiftly rather than taking their sweet old time because, you know what? The Browns are going to have to find another option to play quarterback for them. But something tells me that when the Browns play the Jets in week two in Cleveland, it's not going to be Deshaun Watson under center for the Cleveland Browns. Could be Jacoby Brissett. By some miracle, it could be Baker Mayfield, but I don't think so. You know, they're going to have to find something to do with him, but I think that there is um, enough of that bridge has been burned to where I don't think that Mayfield's ever going to suit up again for the Cleveland Browns. They just haven't figured out what to do with him. You know, a guy like Baker Mayfield, Jimmy Garoppolo, both of those guys know that their futures are not with their current teams. Right, like especially Garoppolo in San Francisco. I mean, Kyle Shanahan came out last week and basically said, yeah, we still expect Jimmy G to be traded. You know, it's only a matter of time. We just have to find the right fit. But if you can't find a right fit or you can't find a good package coming back the other way, then you're just going to cut them. You hate to do it, but that's what's going to have to happen. And I think the teams are waiting it out. Like, why should I give something up that could be valuable, whether it's player, draft choice, if I know that the team is going to end up just releasing him? Like, that's what happened with the Giants and James Bradbury, right? Because the Giants were mired in such salary cap hell that every team in the league knew that the Giants, if they weren't going to find a taker, were going to be left with no resort but just to release him. And that's what happened. And then he signed on with a division rival, figures. But that's the salary cap held that Dave Gettleman got them into. So with Watson, if you want to judge it by precedent, whether it's Ben Roethlisberger, whether it's Ezekiel Elliott, guys, you know, who were implicated in similar type of things, Deshaun Sean Watson involving females. No charges filed. No criminal jail time, anything like that. They still got six games. And that was only like one person. Not 66 if you believe the New York Times story. What's the NFL waiting for? What are they waiting for? And I guess the thing that surprises you and surprised you again even earlier today when Watson spoke, and you'll hear a little bit of that coming up now. But what surprises you is that he still maybe does not seem as contrite and apologetic as he should. Because I think in a lot of ways, he may feel like he didn't do anything wrong. It's like, hey, I didn't commit a crime. What do I have to apologize over? Like he doesn't get it. So here's some of the Sean Watson from earlier today. How distracting. Has this been for you?
3: Honestly, It's been tough, you know, just trying to make sure that I I stay balanced with my my mental and and just my social life. But I have a great family. I have a great legal team, and I have a great support cast here in this organization. So when I walk into the building, all that stuff is outside. i got to focus on football and my teammates, building that trust with those guys on the football field and off the field, and just really just coming to work because the game plan is the season starts and, and getting everyone on the same page.
0: Don't you feel bad for Deshaun Watson that his social life is impacted because of this? Don't you talk about a guy who can't catch a break? Like, is he serious? Like, you imagine somebody who's been accused of doing the things that Deshaun Watson has with the amount of people that he's been accused of doing this with. And he actually went up there today with a straight face and said, it's been hard on me. You know, my social life, it's hard. Well, it seemed like your social life was pretty active not too long ago, right? And that's what got you into this mess right now. I mean, is he serious? My social life? I mean, I've heard some good ones over the years, but that probably is like on the Mount Rushmore of things that come out of athletes' mouths that you just can't even comprehend. How about if he's concerned at all with the pending decision by the National Football League as to whether or not to suspend him or not?
3: Yeah, I can't control that. You know, I met with the, the NFL a couple of weeks ago, and I did everything they asked me to do. I answered every question truthfully that the NFL asked me, spent hours with the people that they brought down, and that's all I can do is just tell them and be honest and, and tell them exactly what happened. And they, I know they have a job, so I have to respect that, and that's what we want to do is cooperate, and, you know, they have to make a decision best for the, uh, the league, you know, so.
0: Well, here's the, here's the thing now, Okay. It seems like each day when you wake up and you turn on Twitter or you put on the news or put on something, it seems like there's another person that's come forward in the Deshaun Watson case, right? And there's more allegations and more lawsuits. Remember, this number keeps on growing. So now we're up to, what, like 25? And I said it's going to be like 26. The Times has 66. When he met with the NFL and when the Cleveland Browns did their due diligence in deciding as to whether or not they were going to go out and trade for him, that list wasn't as long as it is right now, or at least we're led to believe it is right now. So how does that impact things? I mean, I don't expect any sort of righteousness from the Cleveland Browns. I don't. I don't. But from the NFL standpoint, are they just waiting and dragging this thing out because they could read the writing on the wall and they almost see that, hey, you know what? This list keeps growing and growing and growing. We're going to be a little bit reluctant to issue some sort of punishment because... We don't want to look like fools if it's maybe not strict enough, and then, oh, by the way, more of these accusers come out, then we're going to look stupid. That could be what they're doing. But, I mean, when is enough enough? And not only that, I got to be honest, I don't even know if it was in the best judgment of the Cleveland Browns to put him out there today. Like, normally you say, oh, you give the guy credit, you know what, he sat out there and he answered the questions, and, but the fact that this still is yet to be decided and there's still so much uncertainty and gray area. I would have probably told him, "Hey, you know what, Deshaun, lay low," because I don't think he personally wanted to go out there and talk. I don't think he was the one who basically was like, "I got it, I got You know what? I got to address this stuff. I can't wait to talk about this. No, I think they put him out there because now you're going to be going on their, you know, summer vacation after mini camp is over, and then you're not going to be able to talk to him at all until camp arrives. If he's even going to be allowed to still practice come training camp, but. I wouldn't even have made him available, to be honest with you. What do you think the NFL should do? Should they throw the book at this guy? And if you're Cleveland's standpoint, how do you walk this one back?
3: I understand that question and I definitely respect it, but I feel like with this environment coming off the football field, it's hard to answer that question, especially without talking to anybody on my legal team. But at the same time, you know, I've been honest and I've been truthful about my stance and that's, you know, I never forced anyone, I never assaulted anyone. So that's what I've been saying it from the beginning and I'm gonna to continue to do that and, and until all the facts come out on the legal side, I have to continue to just go with the process for my legal team and, you know, the court of law.
0: Well, if you feel that you haven't done anything wrong, right, have you thought about maybe counter suing for some sort of like defamation of character?
3: I understand that, and I know these allegations, is very, is very serious. And you know, you have to respect that and everything that goes with it. And it impacts so many people, not just me and my family and this organization, but people that are outside in the community. This fan base, people from the Houston fan base, anyone that was, you know, a fan of mine. But uh, as far as that, um, I haven't gotten into any of that. My biggest thing is just wanting to clear my name so I can get back, you know, being in an environment that, you know, I'm most comfortable in. And that's being in the community and helping people. And being that role model and leader, uh, and also being on the football field with my teammates and try to win ball games. So,
0: not for nothing, you know. If I'm Deshaun Watson, I don't know who's giving him advice. Maybe I would pump the brakes a little bit about the whole getting out into the community thing. You know, after everything that's been swirling around here, maybe you know the last place you should be is in the community. You know, hide the women and children if, if, if Deshaun Watson's out in the community after all this stuff. You know, maybe lay low for a little while. That's probably my best guess or best advice that I could offer. And I mentioned that New York Times article. Well, they reported that he hired 66 different masseuses during that stretch. He was asked about that.
3: I mean, I can ask that. I I don't think so for what me and my attorneys went through. But at the same time, you know, that's that's more of a, a legal question that I can't really get into details about. So you'll probably have to ask my attorneys and things like that to confirm.
0: Oh, he didn't deny it. And, I mean, if, it's either a yes or no question, right? I mean, it's, it's not that all difficult. Did you hire 66 different masseuses, yes or no? I don't think it's a legal question. Yay or nay? Did you or didn't you? And, you know, that also, like, begs another question. It's like, I mean, just the common sense part of it. You know, whether you frequent getting massages, whatever. You find maybe one, find maybe two, that you have a preference, that you trust, whatever. Okay, fine. 66? Forget about even 66. What if it's even like in that 25, 26 range, like the people that have come forward here with these suits? You need 25 or 26 different ones? Really? I never heard of that. So how are we not supposed to sit back and look at it and say, well, you know what? Something might be a little off here. Something might just be a little off edge. And it didn't bother the Cleveland Browns, obviously, because they wanted to upgrade the quarterback position. to hell with the circumstances. Forget about what type of a distraction it would serve and so on and so forth. And, hey, you can win games. That's the bottom line. And, and, and make no mistake about it, too, because this isn't the first time we've seen something like this in sports, not just in football, but in any sport. It's really kind of the same in life. If you're good at what you do, right, if you can help that employer, business, company, whatever, earn money, then it doesn't matter what you did. They'll turn the other cheek. They'll look the other way because you are of value to them. And that's why the Browns moved heaven and earth to get to Sean Watson. And oh, by the way, then they gave him a record contract when he signed. Think of, Like, like think about that, right? In the history of the NFL, if somebody was going to break the bank and get $250 million guaranteed in terms of a contract, you know, when Patrick Mahomes, somebody who's young, who's good at what he does, stayed out of trouble, you know, you think it'd be somebody like that. Even, hell, you want to even, you know, stretch it a bit. Say Aaron Rodgers, you know, the guy keeps winning MVPs. A little quirky, a little odd, but still don't get into trouble. Tom Brady over, you know, not now because he's like 50. But, you know, when he was a little bit younger maybe, I know Belichick never would have given out that type of contract. That's why he had to go to Tampa Bay. You know, we've seen a lot of guys like this. But this guy, this guy with all this stuff swirling off the field, this is what the Browns do? And it's not, I mean, come on. It's also, let's not make it as if Deshaun Watson is sitting there, you know, racking up Super Bowl trophies in the NFL either. What the hell has he won? He won a playoff game with the Houston Texans? All right, great. Big deal. I mean, you're giving him this money for what? Because in college, in Clemson, he beat Alabama? Big bad Alabama? One has nothing to do with the other. Nothing. I'm surprised by this, really and truly. And I honestly think that the NFL is probably just treading lightly because they're waiting for maybe as much to come out as possibly is going to be revealed because they don't want to look like they have egg on their face if all of a sudden they hit them with, let's say, a, and I'm just speculating, a four-game suspension, and then right after that happens, you're going to get, like, you know, 20 more accusers or something like that. And, you know, on the flip side, too, I understand innocent until proven guilty and those type of things. And, you know, it's his word against everybody else's. Okay, fine, great. And I understand that, you know, unfortunately, sometimes if you are in a position of power and if you are a, in a position of privilege and you have money like star quarterback does, there's going to be people that are going to try to come after you and, more importantly, try to come after that money. But twenty six. Right, twenty six. What they all band together? What they have like a Zoom chat, like a like a like a, a Houston area masseuse Zoom chat, and they all got on the call and they came up with this grand scheme to go try to take down Deshaun Watson. Hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe. He was asked, "What about his teammates?" Teammates going to be able to trust you after all the stuff that's going on as the leader of this team on the field?
3: I just be myself. I come in here with my head hell high. I come in here. If any one of those guys need to ask questions or they have any concerns, they know they can come to my locker and ask me. But for ever since I walked in here from day one, these guys have rallied around me and supported me. And if anything popped up, they questions have been asked and I answered them truthfully. And outside of that, we come in here, we work, we try to be the best Cleveland Brown that we can be, best teammate we can be. And we've had a lot of fun of getting to know each other. And especially on the trip to the Bahamas, that was awesome. So these guys have also, you know, came behind me and supported
0: Hopefully, he stayed in his room when the day was over, not cause any more problems. And lastly, how has this affected you both mentally and? Um, we know the social life has been impacted because he, he he admitted to that. But how has this affected you mentally and emotionally, Sean
3: It's been a long year and a half. I can say that personally, and and just it's been tough. And since I have came here and been and became a Cleveland Brown, I've been able to you know use all the resources that the that this organization have, and I've been able to you know start you know using counseling and, and talking with someone just to make sure that my mental is straight, and uh, so I can be prepared to walk on this field and be as sharp as I possibly can. And I'm going to continue to do that and be the best person and, and grow as an individual, grow as a human being and just be able to be the best citizen, best person that I can be outside this field. And I'll also, when I walk in this building, be the best teammate and player that I can be.
0: I mean, we're in New York, so maybe some of you don't care, to be quite honest with you. But I mean, everybody's into the like the NFL is at one sport to where like I think everybody has kind of a working no- like you could be a fan of the local teams, which, of course, most of you are. But I think the NFL more so than the other sports, everybody has maybe a working knowledge of each club in that league. You know, like maybe because football is the most popular sport. It's the most gambled sport. So you kind of know the ins and outs of every club. You know, if I sat here and started talking about the you know, Sacramento Kings and what they need to have happen during the offseason, like most people probably don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Why should they? Right? People in Sacramento don't even care about the Kings. They're a laughing stock. But with Cleveland, and I know Watson's availability is going to play a big factor into what they do this year. I get all those things. But you look at this division right now to where Cincinnati's coming off a Super Bowl. Baltimore is a good football team. Pittsburgh is still in a little bit of transition now because they're trying to find Ben Roethlisberger's successor, but it's still the Pittsburgh Steelers. They generally find a way because they know what the hell they're doing. But then you have the Cleveland Browns, right? Cleveland is a dysfunctional organization. They, for so many years, were the laughing stock not just in the NFL, but in all the professional sports, to be quite honest. So if Watson is suspended for X amount of games, or even if he is able to play a decent majority of them for Cleveland this year, do you really have faith that they're going to be able to figure all this stuff out? I think this team might be no better than a third-place club in the division. Because I think Cincinnati and Baltimore are probably the top two. I say Baltimore won. That is if Lamar is around and playing. And then I'd say Cincinnati. The other, you know, Cleveland has to earn it. And Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh just has too much uncertainty right now with quarterback. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't trust Mitchell Trubisky. Kenny Pickett, nobody knows what the hell he's going to be. But then you just give him the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, it's the Steelers. If that's the case, what, the Browns are going to finish fourth? I I, I can't see that happening. I'd like it, but I don't know if I could go that far. We know the Rangers season is finished, unfortunately. Do a nice little reflection on the blue shirts and what could have been. I know it's been a few days already. What, Saturday? I mean, tonight, let's be real. I'm sure if you're a Ranger fan, you probably at least have had the thought once or twice throughout the day that, oh yeah, tonight should have been Game 7 or could have been Game 7, you know? Some of you might add tickets for that game tonight. You thought you were spending this Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden. Not listening to me. But it didn't happen. And you know, I... <laughs> I know it sounds cliche, and I know that maybe you want something a little bit more analytical and scientific and this and that about, you know, how did this happen, what went wrong, and yada, yada, yada. I got to be honest with you. I mean, if you watch this team all season and you watch this team even through the playoffs and what they accomplished and what they were asked to do and what adversity they faced – the only real way you could slice it is, is I think the Rangers just ran out of gas. They, got, they ran out of gas, and they lost to a better team. Right? They lost to a team that's been through these wars before. A team that was way more experienced in these type of situations. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning, remember, they're four wins away from a third straight cup. You know the last time that happened? Yeah. You don't have to go too far. <laughs> Long Island, but it was, you know, 40 years ago. Teams won 11 straight playoff series. They know what they're doing. And I guess the whole woulda, coulda, shoulda moment of the whole thing is probably Game 3, right? Game 3, that Sunday afternoon down in Tampa, Rangers had themselves a 2-0 lead, and I mean whether it was You're on social media, you're paying attention and keeping tabs as to, you know, what's happening. And and you're just like basking in the euphoria, whether you were one of those watch parties that they had in or around the city. Like at at 2-0 in game three, you're sitting there saying to yourself like, oh, my God, we're going to the Stanley Cup finals. And I remember tweeting out something at the time saying like in a million years, did I ever think the series would play out this way? Not that the Rangers would just win, but they would win so decisive. And it would be almost like a route. And that's what was playing out over the first two and a half games of this series. But then it switched. Right? Then you had that change. And they couldn't stop it. And it was like a steamroll. And even that Stamkos goal, you know, the first one on Saturday night. That's a shot that Igor stops maybe 99 out of 100 times. Stamko's entry into the zone. Igor wasn't even screened on the play. It was just, you know, a routine shot at the net. And he whiffed on it. And that's like the only goal that he has given up along those lines, like, all season long. And that's what happens when you play 82 games in the regular season. Not that Igor played all 82 games, but... When you play an 82-game season, when you have a seven-game dogfight against the Pittsburgh pick, let's be real, right? Like, when you look back on this playoff journey, the most emotional, the most taxing, I think the most difficult, the most grueling series was the Pittsburgh one. (laughs) I mean, it goes without saying, right? And that usually doesn't happen in round one, but that's what happened with the Rangers. Even more so than the series they lost. I mean, that Pittsburgh series took a hell of a lot out of this team. It's almost a miracle that they found a way to beat a Carolina in Game 7 again in Carolina. And ultimately, it took the Stanley Cup champions to bounce them from this tournament. And you can tell how much it hurt some of these guys. You know, I, I mean, I don't know if you heard any of the sound from breakup day yesterday at the Ranger at the MSG facility up there in Westchester. But Chris Kreider, who was pretty... Sullen after the game on, uh, on Saturday. You know, he had 48 hours to let it stew and maybe just to let it, you know, subside a little bit. But he, he was still fighting back tears yesterday, especially when they were asking him about, you know, playing alongside Mika Zibanejad and the sacrifice that, you know, uh, that it takes and, you know, to try to get this done. Listen, listen to Kreider talking about how much it still stings.
1: It's funny, like, going on a great run like that, and so many people reach out to tell you, you know, how proud they are of you, of your group. But right now it stings, but it's, it's hard to be proud a couple days after you get bounced like that, so. But, I mean, this, this thing's important. We were just talking about when Tampa lost the uh, fourth straight to Columbus, and Torch said, we've created a monster, so. I think, you know, obviously we felt like we could have gone the distance, but that sting is what's going to push us over the edge, I think.
0: Rangers lost on Saturday night. That was on Monday afternoon. And he's still gutted over how this thing ended. That's the crappy part about the playoffs in any sport. Like, you you don't know when it's going to end. You know, maybe it's less abrupt in a in a – series best of five best of seven as opposed to just like one game single elimination because like everybody takes the floor the field the court whatever you thinking you're going to win like nfl playoffs one game ncaa tournament one game you you show up that day because you expect to win but if you don't win you're done you're out you're finished it's over and the rangers have been so good with their backs against the wall right like facing elimination in the first round down three games to one down three two to carolina thinking that they would do the exact same thing against Tampa Bay, but they couldn't. And then when they get that big goal to tie it up, you're thinking, oh, it might happen. It might happen. And then before you were even back in your seat, Tampa retakes the lead again. On a goal that, again, think about that goal. Igor couldn't secure the puck in his glove. That's what happens from playing an additional you know, 20 games Over a long season, an additional 20 games and, you know, an extra month and a half of hockey. Not as strong as you are in October and November. And some things like that happen. Kreider had himself a career season, 50-plus goals. And in the postseason goals, he and Adam Graves have tied for the franchise lead, single-season goal scoring. I mean, that's incredible. Nobody saw that from him at the beginning of the season yet here we are Mika Zibanejad had himself a career season let's hear from Mika he said we didn't quit
1: no quit in New York doesn't mean that we will never lose but the one thing that we didn't do was we did not quit even the last game was up to that very last second and I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of about this the group and the team that we have it matter the situation when you we were always gonna either bounce back or keep fighting and I think that's that's been obviously one of the biggest reasons why we got so far.
3: And, you know, that's, um, I've said it before, that's what I love about this team.
0: Gallant did a good job in his first season, right? He really did. Not easy to play here, not easy to coach here with the demands, the scrutiny, and that sort of stuff. And this was a young upstart group who I think that, you know, people expected to make the playoffs. Like, I mean, okay, that's the that's the goal, make the playoffs. But – you went around great, but maybe anything more than that was unrealistic. It was gravy. And this team was a couple of wins shy of making the Stanley Cup finals. What about the head coach? Does he think this season was a success?
2: 100%. 100%.
3: Now, did I want to win and be selfish and win my first Stanley Cup? I sure did. A lot of players down there did too, but I'm real happy. I'm leaving here today, going home, and proud of our season.
0: You should. Absolutely, you should. It stings. It stinks. You hurt, you feel the pain, all those things, but nobody expected this ride from the Rangers. Like, we talk about it all the time, like, while the season was still going. Like, to me, from a fan perspective, and you may feel differently, the ones that are unexpected are always the ones that are the sweetest. Like, nobody expected the Rangers to make the conference finals. That's why it was so much fun, you know? I always said, like, you know, the Giants, when they won those two Super Bowls in, in 07 and 11, nobody expected them to win the Super Bowl. That's why they were so shocking and so unbelievable if you were a Giant fan. Mets going all the way to the World Series in 2015. Nobody saw that happening. They came up short, but they still made the World Series. Still trying to wrap my head around, though, the decision to scratch Kako on Saturday for Dryden Hunt. Dryden Hunt, who hadn't played in a while. Since the first round. Coach talked about that a little bit. Why he scratched Capo?
2: Trying to win a
3: hockey game. Just dressing my lineup. So when we sit down and talk about our lineup. That's what we do. We love the kid. He's a good player. He's a good young player. But we just thought uh, the best lineup was trying to win that game.
0: (sighs) Look. He knows his team better than I do. He knows his team better than you do. Any of us do. Right, he's there every day, behind the scenes, together every single day. They know, you know, the ups, the downs. They know all those things. I thought it was a little maybe out of the box. And look, he looks like a genius. If it works, if the Rangers win the game. Hell, Dryden Hunt don't even have to do anything in the game. But if the Rangers win the game, he looks like a genius. But they didn't. And Kako's a restricted free agent. I can't see him going to another team, even though, you know, things didn't end on the Best of notes by getting scratched in the last game of the season. But it happened. So he's a restricted free agent. What's to say that there's going to be a team out there with a lot of cap space and they might decide that, you know what, we want to put a huge offer in front of Capococco and we're going to blow him away with an offer, more so for maybe his potential, because it wasn't that long ago he was, you know, the number two overall pick in the draft. Instead of maybe the production that he has shown so far here in his young National Hockey League season. Now, he was, remember, injuries kind of wrecked this season, too. I thought he was playing pretty well before he got hurt. So... It's going to be interesting because I'm sure the Rangers have a number in their mind. And the other thing too, remember the Rangers, not just with Kako, but all the other, you know, unrestricteds, restricteds. Rangers only have like about ten million dollars of cap space. Like they have to get Chris Drury has to get really creative about what he can do and what he can't do. Free agency starts on July the 13th, so about a month away, and there's going to be some tough decisions to make. Not everybody's going to be back, as is never the case. But you know, I wonder, a guy like Kako, for example, is there going to be a team? That's just going to put such a ridiculous offer in front of the Rangers and in front of Kako that the Rangers be like, "Hey, you know what? Good luck." Push comes to shove, I can't see it, but anything is possible. Anything is possible. And and looking ahead, by the way, next summer, Heedle, Lafreniere, Keandre Miller are all restricted free agents. So the decisions that Chris Drury and the organization make this summer, you have to also do that with a watchful eye on the summer of 23. And with those three guys that, of course, you're all going to want to keep and lock up and make them part of your core. You know, as far as the unrestricted free agents go, Ryan Strome was probably the trickiest one. They couldn't get something done during the season in terms of an extension, didn't have a great playoff because he was dealing with an injury, so that limited his production. Strome wants to be here, but you know what? Money talks. There's going to be teams, like I said, in better cap situations than the Rangers that are probably going to put more money in front of Ryan Strome. He's going to have to say, do I, want to, do I love it here so much that I'm going to take less? And if that's the case, let's just say, for argument's sake, that Strome leaves. Did that playoff run, what Filippito did? Is that enough to make you say, okay, you're ready to slide up and be the second-line center, a top six forward? At some point, he's going to have to be. And it might be sooner than maybe we anticipated that being. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. 919 So the Rangers are done. And it kind of got me thinking. Rangers came close. This is the Dan Grasse Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>